your nooner with Dooner. Welcome to Friday, everybody. Hey, by the way, I got big news. And it's thanks to these gentlemen right here at truckparkingclub.com. Thank you, Evan. Thank you, Hunter. Had a talk with him yesterday. And uh, guess what? What the truck? Myself. We're going to Matt's. We're going to Louisville, March 21st to 23rd. Going to roll down there with their team, hang out with them, do a, I don't know, a, a what the truck or two, do some floor interviews, get some footage of what's going on the scene. I hear there's a truck beauty pageant there. There's going to be over 55,000 attendees. It's going to be a time. I've never been down to Matt's. I've been down to Gats, RIP, right before the pandemic, 2019 hasn't been back. So I'm excited. Uh, I'm excited to get over to that one. Might run into some double brokers over there and I might run into my buddy 10-4 Rubber Ducky. We talk a lot about carrier vetting tools on here. Well, here's a great one for you. Email. When someone reaches out with something shady, you got to mess with them because that's what the Bannon report did here. The, uh, Rubber Ducky shares this and uh, he goes, okay, does a shipper allow drivers to have pets in the truck? These guys have a pet lizard that they rescued from the Iowa 80 in the truck with them. The double broker writes back, can you please send me a picture of the lizard? Our commodity will be safe. Send her notified by mail track. And he goes, here you go. Yes, the freight will be safe. <laughs> he shares a different type of lizard over here. And the double broker says, I will pray to God you will never get any work. You a-hole bloody wasted my one hour. That's what you got to do. I get fake like messages, not from double brokers, but from fake Craig Fuller all the time. And they're always looking for Apple gift cards. So I send them like Applebee's gift cards and expired Zen points. I love to waste their time. Keep, keep hitting me up, people. Um, quick news before we get over to Matt Silver. This is kind of a big one. FMCSA versus predatory lease ease. This headline is on FreightWaves.com. John Gallagher did a, did a wonderful job on this, but here's just a brief on it. It says, if you're a truck driver and have a lease agreement with a trucking company, federal regulators want to see your contract, especially if you feel it's predatory or fraudulent. The request is part of a data collection that the Federal Motor Carrier Safety Administration is requesting on behalf of what it's calling its Truck Leasing Task Force, that's TLTF, in an effort to crack down on deceptive leasing practices that can affect a truck driver's health and safety. TLFT was stood up by FMC last year as part of the uh, congressional mandate, is tasked with reviewing the terms, conditions, and equitability of truck leasing agreements between owner-operators and trucking companies. Steve Asai, who is a TLTF member, he said the ultimate goal is to make a series of recommendations for best practices and advice to policymakers on the effects of predatory truck leasing practices and safety and what can be done about that. So actually, Scott McGirt is a comedy. He says the carrier I was leased on with for a few months last last year didn't seem predatory at the time, but they haven't sent me my 1099 yet. And they're saying I owe them almost $5,000, mostly in fees and other fake stuff. Feels great to get crushed over and over again. Hey, uh, Squirt, this might be for you. Go check out John Gallagher's uh, article. It has all the details on how to get in touch with this task force and let them know if you feel you got ripped off or in a bad lease agreement. I'm not sure exactly what they'll be able to do for you, but um, at least it's a start. Hey, we got a wonderful show. Before we get into it, got to tip the band. I want to take a second to put these guys on your radar, Dynamic Logistics, because I got to say, they're doing logistics the right way. Their TMS software is saving shippers a significant amount of time and money. Check them out at dynamiclogistics.com. That's logistics with an X, not a CS. All right, it's episode 683 of What the Truck. I'm talking to Cardi Go, co-founder and CDO, the legend, Mr. Matt Silver. 
just got back from Columbia. He was just at a mastermind event talking about nearshoring. Find out about the weather there. There's an elephant in the room. Is he really buying Coyote? I don't know. Seems unlikely. We're also going to find out what his new venture, Cardigo, does. What's, what are they all about? We'll talk about nearshoring. We'll talk about cross-border. Going to be a good time. We got Motives, Hamish Woodrow. He's going to break down their latest freight market report covering carrier contracts, warehouse truck visits, fuel, and the overall health of the freight economy. We got Reliance Partners, Joe Schreiner. He discussed the impl- implications of New Jersey hiking insurance minimums to $1.5 million. And now it says premiums could raise 40 to 60% under this new rule. Will it spread out in New Jersey? I just heard Wawa is. And uh, plus, we got FMCSA versus Predator Luis's. We did that. Trolling double brokers, maggots on a plane, massive ships, all sorts of good stuff. But right now, Matt Silver, co founder, CEO, Cargado. What is up, man? How's it going? Thanks for having me on here. No, I got I got a question just immediately. What, what does the name come from, and what is the who is that dog in the logo? All right, Cargado is Spanish for loaded, uh, and and we're focusing on cross border freight and and supporting everything with Mexico, um, and so that's where the name came from. Uh, the dog is my dog Meatball. So while we were building Forager, uh, we uh, <clears throat> we a lot of our passwords for like our shared passwords as we were building out the product had the name meatball in it and so i thought we'd incorporate meatball into cargado in a different way which was um to use it in the logo and so that's actually meatball with his head sticking out a truck's window i i love it i love it it caught my eye immediately it made me curious before i could even get into anything else very very cool well i'm happy to have you you've been like all over the place you were just in vegas you were just in columbia mastermind happened i think we have a clip from mastermind roll that tell us a little bit about what this event was all about it's like the rise of nearshoring or something right yeah, so it was it was a lot of uh, brokerage leaders from from the U.S. that came down to Columbia that work with Lean Solutions to talk about all things related to nearshoring, related to building a business. Damon John was there; he was phenomenal. Mike Abrashoff, I'm going to butcher his name, uh, who was a, a U.S. Navy leader and and uh, led a ship for a long time in in the Navy. Uh, and then there was also a marketing leader, Andy Lark, and. Uh, a lot of other speakers. Craig was down there. It was it was phenomenal. My first time in Colombia or anywhere south of Mexico, and uh, the the group that was there was was just outstanding to hang out with. Did you ask Damon why we don't see more logistics service providers on Shark Tank? <laughs> they only look for consumer products. I may or may not have tried to pitch him while I was on the airplane on the flight from Colombia to Miami. Uh, and he doesn't really, it doesn't seem like he does software businesses. So uh, <laughs> you're not going to chance to ask about uh, why he doesn't do software on Shark Tank. But I think it'd make for a much less interesting pitch. Yeah, it, it, it might. They got to remember it's still a TV show and you got to keep people interested. What, what was like, before we move on from that, what was your biggest takeaway from this event? What, what were people talking about? What's, what's sort of the vibe? What's the feel? Everybody's trying to figure out how to expand into Mexico. I, I think that was a big thing. Um, people are also more and more interested in relying on on companies like Lean Solutions for uh, near short talent. So whether it's having people that are helping with with operations, with carrier sales, with with uh, engineering talent, they've got everything, and so they they're able to offer that to all their customers. and And I saw a lot of engagement around that too. And then uh, Craig led a little discussion with Alan Gershenhorn about. Uh, the UPS Coyote deal and and where that's at now. And so overall, it was it was really an interesting day of conversations across the board. I've seen you and Craig debate before. I've seen you debate on stage in Chicago in 2019. Um, I know I root for the home team over here, but I, I, I think you may have won the Chicago Chattanooga debate on that stage. I know it was your hometown over there, but um, 
it's a tough competition. Chicago is pretty strong. You think, uh, hey, you think you think Columbia is going to is entering that conversation though? Or are they are they going to jump above Freight Alley here in Chattanooga? No, I mean there's there's a lot of companies that are that are definitely continuing to rely on on lean for that that service, and I don't think that's going to go away by any means. But um, for sure, you know, I think Chicago won that. We won the debate with Chicago versus Chattanooga, and, and Craig even keeps bringing it up on Twitter still. I, I think he wants a rematch. He's, he's like, we need a best of two or a best of three and, and, and have another match in there. You know, it, it's interesting. So the, the UPS, uh, UPS earnings came out and there's big talk of UPS and all these layoffs. And one line item in there was that they may be selling Coyote and there weren't a ton of details. And whenever there's not a lot of details, there's a lot of rumors and rumors started to surface and your name came up in them. So I want to give you the opportunity to address this one. First of all, why do people think you're buying Coyote? I don't know. I didn't own Coyote. That was my parents that built that company. I was I was there from really early on. Uh, it very much felt like you know our family's business, but um, I don't have that kind of money to buy a, a you know multi billion dollar brokerage. And I, I think whoever does end up doing it, I, I'm excited to see what they would do with the business because it's, it's they're a durable company. They've got a lot of great people that still work there. I'm sure they've got a lot of great customers, a lot of a, a very strong carrier network, and so. Who knows what happens with it? Um, I'm very curious to see where it goes, but it's not going to be me. I also love what we're building right now with Cargado, and, and the last thing I'd want to do would be to get distracted by something else like that. You know, in the NFL, they have like the 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 part the Bill Parcells coaching tree, right? And they have the, the Walsh coaching tree and the Belichick coaching tree. Well, there's like the Coyote. There's not just a Coyote curve. There's a Coyote coaching tree. So many found. I think like what 20, 25, 26 founders have come from there guys like uh jet mccandless left a great comment on here bill driggered of their time working with coyote so many legends that are are huge names in this field right now i mean you've got to be proud of the legacy it's awesome and 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 a lot of the reactions that i got from that yeah every time i run into people from coyote they talk about how it changed uh their their life or their career and and you know i if i would not be where i am right now if it weren't for what i learned at coyote and from my parents and so it's it's you know, there were, like I said, there were about 25 or so people in, in Vegas at Manifest. And uh, there are so many more people that weren't there that are building their own brokerages, their own tech companies. Uh, we're going to continue to see that expand because, you know, there was a lot of really great foundational work done there that people continue to carry on into their new businesses. Very cool. Well, you are on to a new venture now. Mr. Meatball is the logo. What was the idea behind this? Because you had Forager, right? You go Coyote, you start your own company, you had Forager, you exit that. Now you're out with a new venture. It's doing a little bit of cross-border. Fill us in. Well, what's the story behind the uh, formation of this company? So what I've learned over the last decade, I've been involved in Mexico Freight since 2014. And <clears throat> there is not a simple and easy way to solve the problem involved with moving cross-border freight. There's a lot of parties. There's about eight parties involved in a single cross-border shipment. Freight brokers are a core part of that. Trucking companies on each side of the border. There's two customs brokers. Uh, there's there's multiple languages, multiple countries involved. We want to help bring all of that online. Uh, we are not delusional. We don't think that freight brokerages are going to go away. We're not trying to disrupt anybody in this industry. Our goal is to help brokers and trucking companies and shippers and customs brokers do their jobs more effectively, try to move a lot of that conversation out of WhatsApp and, and bring it online into a single platform. And so... Uh, our, our focus right now is supporting kind of that first segment and, and, you know, we've started to invite trucking companies into the platform to be able to, to do part of their workload in there. And eventually we'll expand those features to other parties. But, um, 
we see it as an opportunity to help people continue to to expand into Mexico to be able to do their jobs more effectively, more efficiently. And the way that I look at it in this industry is I think a lot of people have spent a lot of time learning how freight works, learning how to move freight, learning how to sell it, how to operate it, how to cover it. A lot of the people's jobs right now working in a freight brokerage is putting in data and, and reading emails, dis- deciphering it, and then entering it into another system. And uh, it's a lot of task tasks and task management. And I want to see people be able to either build or manage relationships or solve problems. And if they're not doing one of those three things, then then they're doing redundant tasks that could ultimately be automated. And so our goal is to help bring a lot of that work into a system and out of people's emails, text messages, and WhatsApp. Is that is that the biggest problem? Is it just information segmentation? I, I heard you you had like a tweet where you can you were complaining about WhatsApp and you're like so much of logistics. I mean, we always talk about Excel, but so much of it is like siloed and locked away inside WhatsApp. If you data mined WhatsApp for like logistics, you'd have a ton, would you not? For sure. And so on a single load moving from Mexico to the United States, you might have three or four different WhatsApp groups that you're that you're using to communicate with people. Everything from the broker, the freight broker with the customer, the freight broker with the customs broker, the freight broker with the carrier, the the customer and the customs broker. So there's so many different Slack groups or sorry, WhatsApp groups that are happening that people are communicating through that that it's just a mess. And so trying to bring all that stuff into a centralized place will still work with WhatsApp. And that tweet actually resulted in a call with somebody from Meta. And so um, we want to be able to be collaborate with them. It's not just so we're going to end WhatsApp, but uh, it definitely need, needs to move in, into a better structure. Yeah, what else What else are people doing wrong at the border that you can help them be more efficient? We talk about efficiency a lot, but let's go a little bit deeper. What What is the biggest issue other than like that WhatsApp thing? What is slowing people down? What is keeping freight from flowing? So there's people involved that don't actually know what they're doing with cross-border freight. And I think that's one of the bigger issues. Um, I've, I've heard from a lot of brokers that say, hey, I want to go to Mexico. How do I do that? I've got a team of people that speak Spanish, or I've got somebody at, at Lean or Rapido that can help me with that. Um, the reality is you need an operations leader. You need somebody that can actually uh, organize things, that understands the process of a shipment moving across the border. If you can't execute on that, the last thing you want to do is go to one of your big enterprise customers where you're moving dozens and dozens of loads a day with them in the United States and say, let me try a Mexico load with you guys. And the first thing that happens is that load gets stuck at the border for two weeks and the customer fires you because of that, and you also lose your domestic business. And so you need to have a team that actually understands how to operate that freight, uh, cover it, sell it, you know, share all the paperwork with the right parties, otherwise you're gonna fail. And so I, it's, it's more than just having a Spanish speaker, it's really about also having people that actually understand what they're doing with that freight. Very interesting. You know, if you put the news on, you talk about the Mexican border, obviously the topic that's top of mind to everybody is the wave of immigration coming through the border. But this is a freight show. So I'm more curious, is this inhibiting freight flow at all? Is this inhibiting trade? And if the problem increases, will it? It, it So there was a moment during uh, the last uh, uh the last administration where there were people pulled from, you know, handling customs clearance and, and the handle of people crossing the border. That's where it has an impact um, is if you start to pull people off of those jobs. And as long as that doesn't happen again and 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 they keep the, the people that are focused on clearing the freight, allowing that freight to keep moving, we shouldn't see delays. And, and when you hear about people crossing the border, they're usually not doing it in Laredo. They're not doing it in El Paso. It's happening somewhere between one of those border cities. And so, 
Um, I don't think that's what would affect freight flows. We did see uh, last week, was it, I think, that um, that there were two days where the custom system went down in Mexico and nothing could come into or yeah. leave the country. Say that again. Oh, I was like, oh, yeah, I, I, I kind of I, yeah. I remember that was last week. I already forgot about it. And you just reminded me. Yeah. Yeah, so that that caused some some disruption and some delays, but as soon as it went back to normal, those trucks started moving again and the loads got delivered. And so you're more likely to see issues if if the system goes down, which is the first time I saw it in a long time, uh, than you are with with anything related to immigration or, or anything about politics. Interesting. Now, I got to ask you something. So now we talk about nearshoring, but are there impacts in freight? For example, produce season's coming up. You actually put some predictions on LinkedIn and produce season is one of the things that you called out and you called it a seismic shift in volume. Let's go deeper. Yeah. So produce is where you start to see volume start to pick up. Last The last few years, we did not feel the impact from produce season. I remember going back three, four five years before the pandemic, really, uh, where produce would start and all of a sudden it'd be impossible to find capacity coming out of Mexico. And you'd pay carriers to deadhead from the border all the way down to pick up loads in central Mexico. And now that now that the, the market kind of calmed down during the pandemic and, and things got back to normal, it's been a little bit slower. And as nearshoring starts to pick up and people start to manufacture or start to build new plants in Mexico, that's going to affect the entire market. And so as as produce starts to to pump out of Mexico again, and especially with uh, I've heard recently the other day that there's going to be a little bit more of a drought in California and that's going to affect produce on the West Coast. I imagine that we'll see that start to increase coming out of Mexico. And and that's going to have kind of a, a chain reaction and a chain effect on uh, dry freight, open deck freight, everything coming out of Mexico. And so we should see a, a tighter produce season again during the summer. And that will ultimately result in volume coming into the second half coming out of Mexico, hopefully pick up as well. Now, with with an import export imbalance to Mexico, um, is it going to be harder to find a carrier that has to deadhead into Mexico to go get freight? And is this this problem's only probably going to increase in scope? How do we deal with that? There's more northbound than southbound, and that that's going to continue to get deeper and deeper in terms of of the the delta between the 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 two diff, di, the two directions of that freight, and so. Yeah, you're, you know, more and more shippers, I think, are going to continue to move pr- uh, product out of northern Mexico, which redu- reduces the amount of deadhead. Uh, but as Monterey starts to get saturated, as Ramos, Arispe, and Saltillo start to get saturated, you'll start to see that capacity need to shift further south. And so, uh, yes, shippers and brokers will start paying more for deadhead for trucks to go from Laredo down to the Bajio, going down to Guadalajara, down to Mexico City. Um, and that's where you see the price of a shipment that... You know, Guadalajara to Laredo years ago used to cost about twelve hundred dollars, and then it started to jump to like sixteen to eighteen hundred dollars. And during the the height of the pandemic, it was as close to I think twenty two hundred dollars, twenty four hundred dollars to get a truckload of tequila out of Guadalajara up to the border. And that started to normalize a little bit because there's a little bit of volume going down in Guadalajara, and uh, demand has been a little bit slower. And so, yeah, as as the market keeps growing and as more manufacturing moves to Mexico, it will probably drive rates up on northbound freight, but it'll still make sense to, to continue to shift the volume there because of because of the proximity to the border and everything. Interesting. You know, in your um, in your post, you called out at the end, you said there's no technology supporting any of this yet. How big of a problem is that? And what are we looking that needs to be built out to support this? So the the problems are endless because, you know, like we talked about with WhatsApp, there's anything happening in WhatsApp. It's a chat and and it's it's just 
free-flowing information happening sometimes in two different languages at the same time um and there's a lot of copying and pasting a lot of relaying information back and forth that results in delays if it takes a few hours to get that paperwork done you could could make the difference between whether a load crosses or not and if you start to look at how automotive freight moves and how tight that freight operates you're running the risk of shutting down an automotive plant and costing somebody hundreds of thousands of dollars and so there's there's every issue from finding capacity to bringing the data into one place to be able to generate the paperwork that you need for for customs for clearing the freight for generating the card support data even pick up the load um every step of that process has gaps in it that that could be supported by technology not to mention the fact that a lot of the software that customs brokers use is typically pretty old um and the 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 the, the way that trucking companies and freight brokers communicate right now is you know, people are texting and WhatsApping. They're offering each other freight. They're posting stuff on LinkedIn to try to find capacity. There's stuff being posted everywhere aside from any sort of centralized resource. And so uh, we want to try to bring all that together. All makes sense to me. And it seems like you're on a path to do that with this company. Before I let you go, White Sox, should they move to Nashville? I don't care. I'm a big Cubs fan. I, I personally think uh, they should stay in Chicago. And it sounds like they're going to hopefully build a new stadium for the Sox. Uh, on the south side, I'd also love to see the Bears get a new stadium built sooner than later in the city. But um, I'm a diehard Cubs fan, so I couldn't care less whether the White Sox move to Nashville, Chattanooga, or Alaska. For all I care, I, I think they have a good time. But <laughs> I mean, we uh, it's like Braves country over here, so I think they would they would have a tough time. I'm not sure if they would find the interest that they're hoping to seek. They would sort of be like the Titans or something, just kind of second fiddle to college. It was the the typical ownership move where they say, I'm going to move to Nashville. And then all of a sudden the city goes, wait, 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 don't leave. We'll build you a stadium. Yeah. Well, sometimes you got to be like that. You got to leverage. You got to put some, you got to put some stroke there. You got to posture. Well, Matt, hey, thank you for posturing on the show today. Thank you for clarifying that you're not buying Coyote. I know a lot of people were, I don't know if they were concerned or happy. I would have to say happy. Probably they wouldn't be that concerned. I'm not, I have no business running a giant freight brokerage. I, I I, I I love building technology. Building a a freight brokerage is is suited for the people that that are doing that exceptionally well, like, like Pyatt and some of those other guys. You have, is it true you have eight brothers? I'm the oldest of seven children, so there's five brothers and one sister. Wow. And How do they have time to run Coyote? How did, your, <laughs> how did your parents have time to run the massive brokerage? They had people like me and Andrew to, to work there, and they could just put their kids on the job. No, I mean, they. You know, we're the, I'm 36. Our youngest brother is 21, so we've got uh, 15 years between the oldest and youngest kid. But, yeah, I mean – it's a lot of work and and building a business, building the culture that Marion was able to build there. Like the, the whole thing is, you know, it's, it's, I'm sure they'll tell you it's a ton of work. Wow. Well, Hey Matt, love talking to you today. We'll catch up again in the future, but in the meantime, people want to connect with you. I know you're growing your X account. You're growing your social media presence. You're putting some thought leadership out there and some uh, S posts. Where do people go to find all that stuff? x.com slash matt silver linkedin you can find me matt silver on there too and then i've got a Substack, which is mattsilver.substack.com hey man go go oh 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 wait i do have one more thing you've been out yeah. to a lot of events would this improve logistics conferences check a look at this i think we need this i get add at these things i get antsy i get bored what about a little rc event yes please a hundred percent way better than the puppy things that i guess people are doing now um or do both of them yeah 
I, I'm with you. Can you. Have people, you guys can have people sponsor those trucks. <laughs> yeah, you, that would be so right. There you go. You can monetize it right out the gate. It keeps people busy. Someone can sponsor the boot too and sit behind it. It's going to be, like, I think that would beat GateGo getting like the Apple Vision Pro. I think this, this would be even better. Oh, a hundred percent. And, and like, you know, factor in like the Dunkin' Donut races at Bulls games and at a lot of sporting events and have people bet on it or whoever's got the, you've got a DHL truck, you got a UPS truck and a FedEx truck all racing each other on a small little track and it'd be great. <laughs> I'm going to tell Craig that you said that and that you have endorsed us at F3 having a racetrack. I'm, I'm there for fully, it. fully supported. I'll, you, you need to MC the, the race though. I will. I'm more than happy to. I'll call the race. Yes. 100%. All right, we're going to make this happen. Thank you so much, Matt. Appreciate your time today. Absolutely. Thanks for having me. Take care. All right, everybody. That would be fun. Now, speaking of remote control things, take a look at this this uh, plane right here. You know the 737 Max. Let's see how the 737 Mini does. This thing, by the way, it looks super expensive. I don't know if you've ever like looked into RC planes, but even like the small kits are, you know, on Amazon, they have ones that are 100, but they're junk. But like a small kit's like $500. And I was curious how much this thing cost. And we... Uh, we got some numbers. Toy Hua said, you simply don't buy these. You build them piece by piece, part by part. They have blood, sweat, and tears in them, not to mention thousands of dollars. This uh, pistol says, my friend in Stuart, Florida, is a retired engineer and flies planes in competition due to the major costs, anywhere from 25000 to six figures. He's one of a four-person team that covers the cost and they compete. Here's a video of a $70,000 plane. That's not the $70,000 plane. IO Aircraft Incorporated says that specifically about ten grand. It's scratch-built with two micro-turbines, jet engines, which cost about $2,500 each. Rest is foam. And then the RC gear. Try this on for size. And he recommends Tyler Perry's garage, but it just lost its wing. Hope he had that insured. I wonder if Reliance Partners insures RC planes. Um, as Harris Time says, there is a large Marlow airstrip just outside Cal State Channel Islands where you can see these in action. If you're ever in the area, DM me for details. Will do. Freight Broker Guy says, cost of plane plus one goat. As you saw, that goat almost got taken out by that RC plane. Uh, Eric Norquest says, don't even have to check the black box. The goats can give a very accurate eyewitness account of what happened. Yeah, I think it did miss them, though. And then Tom Quimby said, cut to the Ken doll screaming in the cockpit. I love you, Barbie. Seriously, take all that money and put it into a boat that won't fly apart in midair, crash and scare the crap out of a bunch of animals. All right. It's Joe Schreiner. He's executive vice president of sales over at Reliance Partners. You ever insure a uh, very expensive RC plane before? <laughs> no, I have not. Well, hey, man, introduce yourself to everybody. Uh, Joe Schreiner, Reliance Partners, uh, uh, work remote for us here in Milwaukee, Wisconsin. I've uh, been with the company for five years now. You like the uh, you like the Packers' chances? I think they're twenty to one odds next year for Super Bowl champ. Oh yeah, I would press it. I would press it. You would press it. <laughs> well, if you're a truck driver, you might need to win a bet or some money because New Jersey just put out a new ruling. They basically, do, if I'm understanding this, the, I actually read an article and it was super confusing. So I'm glad you're on. It wasn't sure if it applied to interstate or outer state or intrastate. And uh, it's, it's a big raise. But let's get into it. What does this ruling mean? Set the table here. Well, basically, for the companies domiciled in the state of New Jersey, you're going to the state is now saying you need to hold uh, 1.5 million dollars in liability coverage. Um, it's going to be interesting to see how this trends, this really goes uh, across the, the the country too, in my opinion, and how other uh, states and other insurance companies are really going to respond to this, especially with 
the majority of carriers being interstate carriers, uh, even, I'm getting questions from clients now who may be domiciled in Illinois, but they do a lot of their, a lot of their lanes are going into New Jersey. What's going to happen uh, in the event of a claim that, in, that, that takes place in New Jersey? So, so what, this is, this is the, go ahead. Well, I was going to say, what happens in those other like Northeast states? Do they follow suit? Do you have like the, uh, the mid Atlantic, the Northeast, or are they going to follow the path of New Jersey? Yeah, I mean, that's a good question. I mean, I think there's so much unknown to it. And, you know, I wouldn't be surprised if uh, the West Coast, like California, starts to take this approach as well. Um, But I guess there's so much uncertainty to it. I think the real question is how it's going to be, how economical is this really going to be for motor carriers? You know, California, they usually lead the way. I'm surprised they weren't first on this, but will they be next on this and what will that do to that market sure i mean that i think that that's the question to every state is is this gonna is this gonna go federally is this gonna go keep start popping up state by state how are insurance companies going to respond to this too as typically they only offer one million dollars in coverage and you have to find the uh, excess liability on top of it um, now this what it also could mean is for an insurance company that maybe they're only able to write $1 million in primary coverage, uh, are they going to be forced to be able to or have to start offering $1.5 million, which then is going to affect possibly reinsurance treaties on their end and how they structure and price their insurance is going to be in question as well. So how does this work? Because it's New Jersey, but, you know, semi-trucks go everywhere. Is this only trucks that are domiciled in New Jersey? Is it anyone operating in New Jersey? Like, how does, like, the legal side of this work? Yeah, I think that's where I I personally am working on getting more information from some of the attorney network that I use on this, simply due to the fact that we have, you know, if you have a company based in New Jersey, from my understanding, you better have one, one and a half million dollars in liability insurance. So what is this going to do to rates and costs? What's the impact here going to be on a carrier? All right, put it this way. So for the general rule of thumb for a motor carrier is, again, general rule of thumb is if you have $1 million in coverage and you need another $1 million in coverage on top of that for your entire fleet, there's other factors that go into this, of course, but you're looking at probably anywhere from 40 to 60% of what your primary auto liability limits are, okay, and is what you're going to pay in access. So let's say that you have uh, $10,000 a truck for your first $1 million of coverage. You're probably looking at anywhere from possibly $4,000 to $6,000 on top of the $10,000 for the extra $1 million in coverage. This could cause some carriers to to wash out. Do you think that this will have any measurable impact on capacity? That's actually my next topic with my next guest is carrier authorities leaving the market. Do you think this will create a new inflow of of carriers leaving who just can't afford to operate anymore? It it absolutely will. It absolutely will. uh, It's going to run a lot of companies out of business. uh, And what, what it also may do is it may force more motor carriers to start taking on more risk via a deductible, a alternative risk program, a different way to finance their insurance premiums. 
What's the cost implication to, I, I know we all care about the carriers, but now I'm curious too, what's the cost implication to the insurance side? Well, the, it, as it is now, the the insurance market is actually there's a it is hardening. Uh, you know, it's it softened and then it hardened due to just the way to to get reinsurance and capacity right now uh, for an insurance company is becoming more and more difficult and more and more expensive. So, for another for an insurance company to now be able to go to their reinsurance and say, hey, we need to be able to offer another half a million dollars of coverage that they're going to now have to take on more risk as an insurance company, or they're going to have to pay more premiums to be able to offer those that, that high of a limit. Wow. Okay. So now we know this, let's say I'm a New Jersey carrier. I run in New Jersey. What's my next step? How do I prepare for this? Well, if you're, if you're a New Jersey carrier right now, I'd advise you to speak with your insurance agent. I would also advise you to speak with your legal counsel on what, what strategies you can take to buy the insurance or what other creative ways you can to, what other creative solutions you can come up with as a carrier. Good advice. Good advice. Well, if they want more advice from you, they want to talk this out, especially as we're all kind of getting more information and more clarity on exactly what this means, where would I send them to? Send them to reliancepartners.com. Uh, get us. You can uh, obviously get connected with us directly. You can get connected with me. Uh, but ReliancePartners.com is probably the best solution for you. Hit click, the, uh, request a quote, or just call into our one eight hundred number. You'll get directed to a sales representative within minutes, uh, probably within thirty seconds, to be honest with you. And you'll be able to speak with a, a licensed representative immediately. Prediction, real quick prediction. Within the next year. Do you think someone follows New Jersey suit? Will there be at least one state that follows suit? If I'm a betting man, I'd say, yeah. Yeah. I'd There's say, been a lot of push for this, yeah. right? There's been a lot of push to raise insurance. No, oh, yeah, absolutely. And we'll see what happens with the, uh, with everything rolling out with the department of labor too. Um, the, the trucking economy could be in for a rude awakening here. Wow. Well, powerful words. It seems like you got to get your insurance in line, talk to your lawyers as well. But thank you so much for this. Go check out Reliance Partners. And uh, thank you so much for your time. Have an awesome weekend. Thank you. Take it easy. All right. Let's uh, tip the band here. Dynamic Logistics gives you total control of your entire shipping operations. Live location and status updates every 15 minutes and the ability to combine multiple orders into a single load leading to significant savings. Check them out at dynamiclogistics.com. That's logistics with an X at the end. All right, elsewhere, it's uh, me and my next guest, Hamish, before the show, practicing what we were going to say when we go over this report. I love a good golden retriever. You know who the golden retriever of freight is? Matthew Leffler. I saw him, like, every time he comments on someone, he's like, that's why you're my favorite. That's why you're my And I'm like, Matthew, what is going on here? You cheating on me? You told me I was your favorite. But then I realized he just says that to everybody. I'm not saying he's just disingenuous. He's more like a golden retriever. He really does love everybody. Well, I love you too, Matthew. Little cowbell for you. Let's talk to another guy. Good friend, Hamish Woodrow, head of strategic analytics at Motive. Hamish, good to see you. Hey there. Good How to you see been? you. I love the golden retrievers. You do? Do you have a dog? I, I don't. I used to have a golden retriever. Unfortunately, he passed away. But it was, I loved, it was the, since I've been a kid, I always had golden retrievers. So you picked a good yeah. dog for me. 
Oh, I grew up with, I grew up with the golden retriever too. My parents have one now. I've moved more onto the lab side. I have a lot of black clothing. And the problem, anyone who's a golden retriever, like you got a peak <laughs> or something, yeah. you need to just invest in like those sticky rollers. Like that yellow fur just gets on yeah, everything. Yeah, you got to have, a, you got to go to Costco, get a bunch. And uh, <laughs> yeah, definitely. <laughs> you need them in bulk. Well, hey, I was looking at your report. You guys just put out a new report for February and it was looking at the last year and what's going on. And it has some great details, aligns a lot with sonar, but you get some other stuff in here too first before we jump into it what was this report all about what were y'all trying to determine yeah so there's a couple of things that we we publish every month as part of our economic reports and and the, the big things we're seeing is capacity so you know in this current report we look at the new new carrier entrance how many new carriers are registering we see that up 22 percent from december we look a, a lot at like overall market size and contraction so here you see on on this chart uh, this is month over month changes in the number of carriers. We see, you know, the red is cat contraction. Actually, uh, we saw 20% less contraction in January uh, when we published the latest report. Part of that seasonal, but part of it's overall what we expect to be happening as uh, we go through 2024. Um, and then the report also covers a bunch of other indices. Most notably, uh, we track very closely the retail index. And that's something that we... Um, we uh, we split out in this re latest report into various uh, components of the retail industry, including uh, groceries and including electronics and apparel. And what we're looking there is, uh, you know, with all the IoT devices we have embedded across North America, is we're looking at visits to distribution facilities. Uh, you know, we track tens of thousands of distribution facilities across the um, across the uh, U.S. And we look at, like, what's the relative activity year over year on those uh, facilities? And that gives us a leading indicator of what are retailers bringing into their inventories before they hit the stores. And so that's one of the big things that we've been covering also. And, and for the first time, really, like, we're starting to see some normalization. And those are the two big things I'm going to talk about probably in the show, which is, like, there's some normalization and some pockets of positive um, trends as well happening. Yeah, I'm looking at this change in authorized for higher carriers. And it's funny, you can, you can see the physics of just a chart, right? Like what goes up must come down. And this thing just completely yeah. tips over in the middle of 2022. Yeah, and that, that's, you know, if we think about it, the last three years, uh, 21, uh, 2020, 21, 22, and then 23 have been up. A series of shockwaves for the, for the industry, both positive and uh, and through most of 22 and 23, uh, negative, which is you know, big boom, 27% year over year growth. That's that big blue bump in the middle. Those are unprecedented growth for this for the for the uh, industry. You know, historically, we look at the 10-year averages. We grow at 5.7% year over year in terms of number of carriers. That period in big blue uh, bars is is all the growth uh, driven by the economy moving. Uh, to goods and the increase in demand that we saw overall. And obviously, what does go up created this bubble, and we saw contraction hitting in 2022, when another shockwave also hit the industry, which is the change to the fundamental costs. Diesel prices went you know, from $3.70 to $5.70 in a really short period of time that drove uh, the unit economics of all these new carriers just destroyed it. And that led to the freight recession we saw, which we've been going on for last uh, you know 18 months plus now all that red is contra uh, contraction carriers leaving the market the, the industry is getting smaller um, and really like we're, we're waiting for that intersection point where the industry is uh, capacity meets the meets the demand uh, of, uh, of the you know of uh, the consumers in, in the US as well and so that's what we're seeing a little bit coming into you know we're seeing some positive trends uh, January was a better month we saw that 
Uh, contraction was overall down uh, 20%, 20% less carriers exited. Um, there's still contraction going on, um, but we're starting to see a slow uh, slowdown. And I think that's what we're seeing, and that's overall predi- prediction is going through Q1. We expect to continue to see some uh, some improvement, continuing to Q2, and, and really like tightening in, at the back end of Q2. Um, so we see that, you know, we've had a series of shockwaves. Hopefully no others come up in 2024 over the last three years. We see kind of a normalization overall in the industry happening through 2024. And, and that's the big component I talked about, which is stability. We've had a few months of stability. Obviously, we still got to work through this glut that was created, this mismatch now between the demand and, and the capacity that came into the market. Still working through it, but we see kind of 2024 as the year we really normalize back to kind of a pre-pandemic trend. Oh, cool. What is this? What is this telling us about starts right here? Yeah, so this is you know everybody who's uh, wanting to start a, um, a company needs to you know obviously register a bunch of uh, forms to start a for hire carrier. So we track how many new companies are going out there, and um, and what we saw was a big jump, twenty two percent in in January. Actually, this is you know basically from July twenty twenty one have kind of been going uh, down. Uh, sorry, July 2022 have been going down uh, and just decreasing month over month. January this year, we saw a jump. And, um, you know, we're, we're up about 22% uh, compared to December. Now, that, that shows still a positive trend. New carriers are starting. About 7,900 new carriers uh, tried to start a business in January uh, of this year. Now, that's 18% higher than started in January 2020. And that's really where we see the rest of the year going. We're starting to see that as the market stabilized a little bit, you know, we're still obviously waiting for spot prices to, to kind of head up north. But as long as there's stability, at least on the cost side and also on the rate side, uh, we're seeing that we're going to end probably in the 10 to 20 percent above pre-pandemic levels of new carriers. So that's what we're trending to as well in February. We're, we're actually trending to a better month on um, uh, a pro-rated basis uh, for February compared to January. So these are the little pockets of positivity that give us the indication that you know there's that we're in the the realms of turning around this market from pretty bad you know 18 months that we've had and experienced through this freight recession. We're starting to see some early signs that 2024 will not be a continuation of that trend. Yeah, I mean that's what I'm hearing from everybody who looks on the data side. The boots on the ground side, a little bit they're a little bit more skeptical, yeah. but they were in 2022 and we said the market was falling off a cliff. Everyone's like, "You guys don't know what you're talking about." And we're like, "Nope, we're seeing the thaw and it all comes together." But let's go a little more. Let's go a little deeper here. What does your big box retail index tell us? Yeah, so like I said at the start, we're, we're tracking all tens of thousands of uh, facilities across the U.S. And, and all the trucks that are leaving them daily and stopping off, dropping off loads. And what we look here is that this, this black line shows where we're starting in the first couple of weeks of January. So we actually overall on the retail index, which looks at the top 50 retailers in, in the U.S., we were 2 percent above 2022 levels. So, you know. This shows some positive. This is what I talk about uh, positivity, and we see different segments and uh, where we're seeing a lot more improvement. Actually, like home improvement was up fifteen percent year over year. Um, super stores and grocery up fifteen percent year over year. And really, the story here is we're starting to see um, the retail sector overall and overall the supply chain get more effective and leaner. And so. 2023, if we think about it, in the first part of the year, and, and really start, end of 2022. A lot of retailers were overstocked. They had too much inventory. We had historically high inventory to sales ratios. And so a lot of the themes coming out of 2022 into most of the first half of 2023 was get rid of stock. And especially as you got interest rates going higher during that time period, 
holding inventory, the cost of capital, these are all headwinds against you. And essentially, a lot of retailers really went out and tried to reduce their inventories. And that reduced the number of trucks going into facilities, reduced the amount that we were shipping into the U.S. as well. And what we're seeing is we've got through that inventory glut and the majority of the retailers. And that's why certain retailers, for example, in the home improvement sector are seeing a much better start to the year compared to others. Um, and that's really just this... Um, kind of normalization of, of restocking, which is po more positive. I think a more healthy supply chain is, is overall positive. Um, you know, we're not at these 2021 levels. You can see this like 21, 2022, everybody was fixing their house. Everybody was uh, building home offices. And so we see those light blue and dark blue lines being, you know, much higher than where we're at today. But we are better than uh, we have a better start to the year compared to 2023. And, and so I think overall that sort of normalization and going out of three years of pretty, um, I'm going to say from someone who spends a lot of time forecasting, pretty difficult forecasting environment for what you're going to do um, is, is, is overall positive because it's going to allow you to, to be a bit more predictive around how you model your business out, how you do your investments. Um, there's still a lot of macro um, things out there which could, uh, could create more headwinds, but, but overall, like stability does help um, running businesses better. Consumer inflation is still a big problem. Uh, let's see if let's look at yeah. discount retailers and wholesalers. Are, are they benefiting at all from the consumer trying to get a bargain? Uh, it's it looks like we're kind of are seasonal, right? Except this time we're on yeah. the rise. Yeah. So there's some it, it's some rise. It had a pretty slow start actually uh, in January. It's yeah. the only uh, one of our indices which was down, but you know it was down 1.9 percent. So it's not hugely down year over year. It's pretty flat. Um, and But we are starting to see in the last couple of weeks in January, we started to see an upwards trend, actually a pretty fast acceleration of restocking. And I think with both the discount retailers and the wholesalers, there's a lot of um, a lot of weight, and, and especially on their side, given uh, how margins are, it's really important to think about how you manage inventory. And I think that we're just generally like, there's a lot of uh, still uncertainty around what's happening on the consumer side. And so I think what you're going to see overall continue to be is an overall purchasing manager still being on the side of, um, of risk averse, like especially it still costs you a lot of money uh, uh, to go out and, 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 and purchase in inventory. And so you got to be, you're going to get have a lot of pressure on from your CFOs at your companies thinking about how you spend your money and, and really how sure you are that that demand is going to be there the next month, especially when our retail indices are really looking at what's happening a couple of weeks before they're happening in the, in the, the shops themselves as they bring in inventory. And so I think that we're, we're see, we saw a slow start, but it's, it's really a normalization to, to what we expect February to really probably supersede 2023 levels. Uh, but being in and around that levels, uh, it'll be interesting to see if more pressures are put on the consumer. Uh, you know, there's a lot of talk about interest rates, how that helps discount retailers. Uh, traditionally, we'd see a boost there. So it'll be interesting to see the inventory trends continue through the first half of this year. You know, there's a lot of economists, especially for like the past six months, and I follow a lot on Twitter, and they're they're like, uh, you know, th this report looks good. Why is the consumer sentiment so low? And and why are the consumers there? And I'm of the firm belief that most people are like me. Your your main inflation report, I don't care what the government puts out. It's what it says at Publix. When I check out at the grocery store, when that goes up 20%, you notice that almost immediately. But the chart for groceries actually looks pretty good. Grocery and superstores on the rise. Yeah, and and you know it's it's for us it's it's good to see this, and so we see that uh, the grocery and superstores are up about fifteen percent year over year. So it's a good start to the year for these. Um, and you know, I think a lot of it is just uh, is ultimately we have to uh, think you know 
back 12 months, what was in the, the mind of retailers. And a lot of them were in fear. Like there was a lot of talk if we entered 2023, recessionary fears, uh, demand falling off a cliff, like what, what was really going to happen? A lot of them were stuck with a lot of inventories and have a, a lot of external pressures to write their books. And so I think what we're starting to see is, especially in certain sectors, there's not as much fear on that 2024 side. There's a lot of confusion. I think you can see a lot of numbers out there which are um, which make it difficult for retailers to make decisions. And what I like about these numbers the most is that they actually show what they're almost predicting. They're saying, okay, we actually feel that it's fairly strong at least over the next couple of months about what we're going to bring in the next couple of weeks really on, on this grocery and superstar side. And they feel really reasonably positive that uh, the start of 2024 is going to be re- relatively positive and they, they felt a bit more strength coming in from 2023. So overall, there's, I, my guess is a lot of a less hesitancy starting off the year compared to the previous year around what demand's going to look like. Um, and we got to see if February's going to be a big month, I think, for us, at least to really see do trends hold. Um, and one of the big things I'm going to see is does overall, like the purchasing managers, those that are accruing controlling the inventory side, do they maintain a positive um, sentiment towards things? I think the more risk aversion that comes in, the more that they're willing to to have lower inventory levels, the the less they want to get punished for for overstocking. And so I think that those are the trends and themes that we're going to see, which is you know every uh, retailer is going to have to navigate for themselves over the next six months. Now, one of the major cost pressures on on carriers is fuel. Are we? Do we have anything positive there? You had a chart. This is a major part of your report. Yeah. What are we seeing in fuel? Yeah. So you know, through our spend management, we can see all the sort of transactions that are happening at pumps, and really, and this is specifically uh, really impacting smaller carriers who are uh, more subject to retail prices. Um, uh, and so, what we see here is, you know, we ended kind of January with about four dollars eight uh, eight cents on uh, on uh, on diesel price. So, you know, we we had a little bump at the end of the year. It's kind of come down sl- slowly from there. The biggest thing I'd say here is we've dropped a few cents from from the previous month, uh, which is positive. Any sense a drop in diesel is is positive overall for um, for your costs, but stability again is is actually quite important here. Like I think you know when I look back at uh, even um, in twenty twenty two, we saw like big jumps in diesel price. Even in July twenty twenty three, within three weeks, the diesel price jumped to eighteen percent. That's really negative for for people who are trying to manage uh, very cost intensive businesses and especially operational costs um, and especially the smallest carriers out there, because they're the ones that are uh, subject to the most volatile spot prices and diesel prices and get hit first. And so if we're going to have some stability, it makes you better able to plan your business, plan your costs um, and any sort of fluctuations. I think that's the biggest thing. If we have uh, large fluctuations like we've seen in the previous years, that really hurts the smallest carriers. And, and that's where we see accelerations in um, in exits and out of business because it's really hard when you, you're, you know, like uh, cash is tight. Uh, it's, it's hard to get a hold of money. Credit is not an easy thing to, to get a hold of right now. And, um, and these large fluctuations really impact you, you know, uh, on the week that you're operating. And so, um, that's one of the things that we, we talk about when we think about this is some stability there at least allows carriers to better make a decision. Is this the right business to stay in? Can I manage my costs? Can I cover my, uh, can I make some profits here? And, um, and we hope that there's at least, you know, continual downtrend, but at least stability in the, the diesel price. 
Well, hey, thank you so much for some insights into the market. It aligns with a lot of what we're seeing. And um, like yeah. I've said earlier on here, if these fundamentals hold, I, I think you will see, you'll stop being an ace here and you'll see some of that recovery in the market will be more apparent to, to everybody. It might start hitting some of that critical mass. And that's but there's a lot also going on. Selection year. There's uh, there, I, I ran once to build a, a base in uh, at Antarctica now. There's space lasers that Russia, like who even knows, man? Anything could happen. But if these things actually, black swan events that actually helps the market so not that i want like a space laser to attack us but i don't know it does seem to make rates go up uh hamish thank you so much people want to read this report they want to learn more about what y'all doing at motive where do i send them to yeah so go motive.com we publish all the reports on a monthly basis around uh the second week of the month we're always publishing these reports uh, so go check out our blog there and um and it's been great being on the show thank you so much man have a great weekend take care you too bye all right, it's Friday, so before I send you home, a little good news, bad news. Bad news and good news. Hope they're okay. All right, this isn't so much bad news, good news. I just thought this was really cool, and it did really well on social media. So I thought I would show it to you all. And a lot of times I find these curiosity things, and it's like, are people fully aware? I know we all seem steamships. And even when I was on like the global trade side, I'd never actually seen the inside of steamship. And when you think of them, you look at that picture that's up there in the corner, right? You see all the ones that are visible on top. But when you actually look inside of a steamship line, that's a nine-story building. Each one of those containers is about eight and a half feet tall. The long one you see there is 40. The ones down at the bottom, those are 20-foot containers. Now, let me explain this to you. When someone says a ship is 20,000 TEU, a TEU are those 20-footers, not the 40 footers. Now, when you're looking at that picture of the ship, you can say, okay, those are mostly 40. So what that means is a 20,000 TU ship, it's not actually going to have 20,000 containers on it unless it's all 20s. Instead, it's going to be, you know, closer to half that with the number of 40s that would be on there. Also, if you notice, they put the 20s at the bottom. One reason is they provide better support. But one of the drawbacks of that is that if you like, if you want your freight really quick, when they got to pull all this stuff out, it comes from the bottom. AG Cheek says, if you ever get the chance to watch a planner orchestrate the loading of one of these bad boys, do it. It's Tetris with $1 billion on the line. And uh, Super Melanie Jansen says, filled with plastic garbage from China. Crick, crack, broken. I mean, listen, Melanie, you're replying on a piece of crap from China. We're wearing pieces of crap from China. My phone's a piece of crap from China. My cowbell's probably a piece of crap from China. Every damn thing on this desk is probably a piece of crap from China. You're not pointing out anything here. You'll be in the Stone Age if you're not buying pieces of crap in China, because that's the way they set this stupid system up. Either way, it's still global trade, and that stuff's going to end up on the back of the truck. So if that crap does have to come here from China, let's go make some damn money on it, right? And stop worrying about that. Although we do got that nearshoring, and I talked to Matt about that earlier. But one thing you got to know about nearshoring is a lot of these factories that are open to Mexico, they're Chinese too. Sorry, there's no avoiding it. They're a huge import culture. That's what they make. I'm not saying it's right. I'm not saying it's wrong. It's just how it be. All right, good news. You had an amazing trip in Amsterdam and are now headed back to Detroit. Bad news, so is a load of maggots. Take a look at this. On Tuesday, Delta Airlines Flight 133 departed Amsterdam, Netherlands, bound for Detroit, Michigan. But an hour into the flight on that Airbus A330-300, they had to turn back to the airport because a giant box of maggots fell on someone's head. They, the uh, station, Fox 2, interviewed 
this passenger, Philip Shute, a Netherlands native, he lives in Iowa. He said uh, he saw about a dozen of the creatures on a woman sitting next to him. He says she was freaking out. She was just trying to kind of fight off these maggots. I didn't really know what was going through my mind. I was just trying to process it. Disgust is one of them, of course. We had to wait there for help to actually come. Data from the Flight Tracker website, FlightAware, shows that Flight 133 spent just one hour and 49 minutes in the air before that faithful shower of maggots landed on these people. Delta Airlines confirmed to CNN that the flight had to turn around, but did not address questions specifically about the maggots. Like they would, they're like, yeah, there is an issue, but they just didn't, they did not want to talk about maggots. What is the grossest thing you've ever encountered on a flight? I've gotten like the typical stuff, like, you know, like gum on the side of the seat and you touch that. I lost an ear pod in one once and I had to go looking for one. There's a bunch of boogers on the side of the chair. Never found that ear pod either. All pretty gross stuff. All right. Free market. Let the free market decide bad news. You want DoorDash, but are sick of paying $25 in delivery fees. Good news. You're in Seattle and Tony is undercutting the market. Check it out. This is a, he writes here, Tony delivers is his company. It's a guy named Tony, obviously. He says, angry with absurd Uber Eat fees? Want your DoorDash delivery person to care about you and your food? Ditch the apps and let me deliver your food for only $5. One chicken bowl at a Chipotle says DoorDash would cost you $24.87. Uber eats $27.50, but Tony delivers only $15.03. I guess that bull's only $10 in, uh, in Seattle. Not too bad. How does it work? He says, text me your name, address, and restaurant. I'll text you back the wait time. Usually you can order right away. Order your food on the restaurant's website by selecting pickup or takeout. I'll deliver your food. I'll meet you in the lobby outside your building. You can pay with Apple Pay, Google Pay, or cash. He, doesn't, uh, he obviously doesn't have the app and the tracking, the infrastructure that, like, Uber Eats or DoorDash does, but he has the price. He says, he says, can you trust him to deliver? He said, before starting towing delivers, I made 9,197 successful Uber Eats deliveries and held a satisfaction rate of over 98%. I'm confident that I can deliver your food cheaper and faster. And he said, even if it's raining, he'll come to your house. Alexander says he should make an app where other Tonys can register as drivers and then people can hire the Tonys directly in the app. Pietor Merskowitz says, probably more profitable than any of his competitors. Jerry, I don't see how I can make money. He would need to do four an hour to even get $20 an hour. But that still wouldn't be enough with gas and everything. I think he's on a bike or maybe even an e-bike. Casino Capitalism says, actually, this dude is probably delivering like 100 Chipotle bowls per trip to the Amazon buildings. Good point. Good point. Kira Brooks says, this works perfectly for a small radius. It might work too well, and you'll have to hire another Tony. Everyone wants this guy to get a, <laughs> another, another Tony. All right, good news. You uh, you finally made it to a truck stop. You're going to go fuel your truck. And bad news, there's someone who's just parked there for 48 minutes. But this revenge may take it too far. Let's take a listen. Oh, hold on. Let me walk around. There was a guy in there eating, right? He was in there eating like 48 minutes or whatever the guy timed him. So the man here and the truck, his truck back there now. He took the windshield wiper bucket and filled his fuel tank up and his truck won't run. <laughs> it cranks up and it's spurling. They calling the police, he filled that man up with the windshield bucket of uh, water. That he's madder than a motherfucker. son. He won't park in no fuel pump no more. 
Wow, the drama, the drama. Was the karma worth it? I asked the community, I posted this video earlier on social media. Mr. Grinch says, you don't do that. I've seen drivers block the fuel lane before. I just moved to another lane, get my business done, and then I pull up to the back in front of them. They hate that S. Ghost says in Florida, that's a good way to get shot. <laughs> yeah, that's a good point. Dad of Two Roadside says it would be more effective in the uh, in the death tank. <laughs> but if you can't punch someone in the nose anymore, I suppose you need to find another way to police yourself. And uh, he appreciates the business. He's a tow truck guy. So that guy's going to have to call one of him and uh, he can throw some fee on him to help pay for a those wreckers. And uh, Santonio Trucking Goomba says, I hate these guys also, but that's too far. You think it takes balls to F with somebody's equipment? That ain't balls. Real balls is confronting them to their face and handle it then. That's just my opinion, though. I agree with you. It's sort of like, you know, you don't like a Waymo. That doesn't mean you get to vandalize it. You don't like someone parked in your place. You don't get to vandalize it. You're like, you are the decline of society if you're the one doing that. You're no better than the idiot who just parked there. Don't perpetuate the violence. All right, if you want to perpetuate this show, though, share it out to a friend. You can find it wherever you get audio podcasts. Just look up What the Truck. You want the video version? Look at all our ugly mugs in HD. Go to Freightway's YouTube channel. The entire playlist of What the Trucks. You can watch the live streams Mondays, Wednesdays, Fridays at noon Eastern time. Of course, find me on Twitter. At Timothy Dooner. Take care. Have a great weekend. Don't be a stranger.